0: This is Coda Radio, episode 444 for December 13th, 2021. Hello, old friend, and welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us perched right there next to his microphone, like he was just last week, it's our host. Mr. Dominic,
1: hello, Mike. Hey, hey, how are you?
0: Oh, do you really want to know? Sure, I want to know how you're doing.
1: Uh, I'm okay, you know, busy,
0: busy, busy. Been uh, writing a lot of C sharp last week. I could tell because you know the tweets and the slacks have dropped down. So you must be pretty busy. I mean, you pop in from time to time, but
1: yeah, a little bit of crunch time. So how are you? I sound like you. I sound like you're like you're you're ready to explode.
0: Remember how we used to say, um, "I'm, you know, I'm going to go postal. Remember how that used to be a phrase back in like the 90s? Maybe it was.
1: I do remember.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel. I mean, I don't know what I got to do to make sure the end of the year does not turn out to be such a damn grind fest every time. But I forgot just how bad end of your grind can get when you run your own business. And boy, am I getting it this year. Hmm. Ground into the ground. Let me give you a taste of like my last four days. Okay, This is just a taste. You're not going to believe this, but it's all absolutely true. I'll start with the more believable. We've had some new projects in the works, and I just killed one of them that we've been working on for a while. And it's hard. You know how that goes, right? Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we're trying to figure out and coordinate moving the live time for Linux Unplugged, moving the record time for Linux Action News, and tweaking some of the stuff there, while also figuring all that stuff out, also like trying to figure out a new network-wide membership program that involves different platform providers, legal contracts and like all this stuff while also trying to keep the content rolling in the weekly shows, of course, of course, while all this is going on, all of like the new show stuff I was trying to figure out, I couldn't sleep. So I hadn't slept for days. And of course, it's the holidays. So ho, ho, ho. I got to like buy gifts and see family on the weekends all the time. That's been great. And legit. This weekend, I lit my robe on fire. What do you mean you lit it on fire? I lit the coder on fire. Like actually on fire? Yeah, it got bad. So I do this family holiday shopping trip with my dad, and we didn't do it last year because of COVID. But we did it this year, and we got some whiskey and some cigars, and I had a cigar. You know, I don't I don't smoke very often, but I had a cigar. So you had fire and an accelerant. Yes. It was a newer version of the robe because I gave my dad a robe, and I had a robe. It had like a little bit of this like peach fuzz on it. So I'm sitting in my chair man spreading right? And leaning over, lighting my, my, my big gentleman cigar on fire, and a piece of the gentleman cigar falls down between my legs. Like So it's already scary because, as other gentlemen out there know, when object begins to fall between your legs in your crotchular region, you instinctually like, close your legs, right? Right. But it was a big chunk of fire. I kind of stopped myself, but now I don't know, because I've flinched, I don't know where this ember is. Right. But what I see is like when you turn on a propane heater and there's like this plume of fire that just just goes across the entire heater. That's what my robe did because of the peach fuzz that was on there. So I'm sitting here and all of a sudden I just see this plume of fire that spreads out between my legs and my ass starts getting hot. Like, I'm not even kidding you. I'm like, I think I get it. But then my ass starts getting hotter and hotter. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I'm like, I'm taking the robe off, right? Throw the cigar because I'm not even thinking anymore. So I just throw the cigar on the carpet like an idiot, although it was fine. I rush to take the robe off. I throw the robe on the floor and I start stomping on it, right? Because I'm trying to put out the fire. And everybody's like, what the hell just happened? And I figure the robe must be completely destroyed, right? I pick it up. I open it up. Look at the inside. I can see where the ember fell, but I, I think it was just the peach fuzz that lit on fire because the rest of the robe looks completely unscathed, like a shield, maybe Thor's hammer. Maybe that's a better analogy. The robe is like Thor's hammer. So then the wife, you know, I, I get home. And I'm like, you're not going to believe what happened. And she says, what? And I'm like, go look at my robe. And, you know, she takes other. robe, and is like, what? And she's like, this little burn mark here. I'm like, the, the whole thing was on fire for a second. No, she says, it's fine. How could it have been? It's not even singed. So, you know, the peach fuzz took one for me. That's amazing. And uh, at, what is it? Antimanium? What is that, that Wolverine's made out of? Adamantium. A- yeah, adamantium. I think that's what the robe was made out of because it, it's just fine. It's unscathed. You know, put that'll put hair on your chest, though. I don't drink much, but I, I was out shopping and we went to dinner and it's been stressful. So I got myself a couple uh, tequilas. And now it's like I'm having a three-day hangover. It was Saturday. Today's Monday. And I still feel like Mm. I honestly don't know how people drink these days and not feel like hell because for me, it, does, it just makes me feel like hell. So that's been my last few days. Yeah, I don't touch tequila, that stuff. Even smelling it, it's like, oof. oof. Killing projects. Burning ropes. Moving shows around, which when you move time shows, right, you got to coordinate with the host. You, you know this. We got to coordinate with the editor. We got to make sure that we can do it at this particular time. You know what it's like when you're doing it for two shows at the same time and trying not to miss a beat. It's a nightmare. It's just been a nightmare. All of it's just been horrible, so um, I'm in a good mood today. <laughs> so let's do some damn emails. <laughs> Actually, Mike R writes in with some handy guides for developers that are looking to port over to M1 hardware. But he also wrote in and he said, "You know what? I kind of agree with Chris's M1 Max experience, where yeah, it's fast. it's really nice. but I was oversold. I was oversold on the performance, and what it is, it's like every component you can tell is really. Performing at its peak, you know, the disk system, the memory bandwidth, the CPU, all of that is really great. But it's not like, oh my God, my life has changed. It's just, oh, finally it's as fast as it should have been. He said, So I've been making a guide for the last couple of weeks. It's not perfect, it still needs a lot of work, but I wanted to share it with anyone that would find it useful. It's the Apple Silicon Guide on GitHub. He also has a VS Code guide. I peruse through this, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up in the show, and I'll put a link in the in the notes, is for somebody like me who's coming from Linux and isn't like quite sure what all the little ins and outs are of getting macOS humming on this thing and what settings to tweak, this is a great, great guide for that. I mean, he does a fantastic technical breakdown of the architecture as well, but then he gets into the specifics of porting an application to Apple Silicon, debugging kernel extensions, working with the audio core, all this stuff that I really had no idea about because it's all a foreign language to me. And I found it to be pretty useful if you're coming from that angle. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you to Mike R. for sending that in. We'll have a link in the notes about that. So if you've got any M1 strugs, check it out. Cool. Yeah, not much to add. Just kind of a FYI. So Vikram writes in with a feature request for the Coder Radio program. He says, you mentioned something in an episode once, and I wanted to go look it up, but I wasn't sure what episode or where it was, so I looked in several show notes, couldn't find it. I thought maybe it was on Linux Unplugged as well. I'm never really able to remember because I listened to both of them. I looked in the show notes, and I did find that you talked about it in Coder Radio, but It's possible as mentioned elsewhere, so I thought, you know what would be really nice is a more advanced search. Something like Elasticsearch for the show notes would be amazing for podcasts in general. Well, it just so happens the orange one wrote in about a rad show notes tool he's made for the whole network. The orange one says, hey folks, a while back I helped Alex, from Self-Hosted, build a show notes site at notes.jupiterbroadcasting.com. We collaborated in the Self-Hosted Discord. And people seem to like it quite a bit. So I made a post on my website about how I put it together. And this is actually a really great read. He uses a lot of different technology that we talk about a lot on the show to build this. He says that uh, he's recently been falling in love with uh, Python. He was a Ruby guy, but Python has been getting his attention. So he thought he'd make a good little section on the show. And I'll put a link in the show notes. So go check this out if you you haven't yet. It's notes.jupiterbroadcasting.com. And from here, you can search all the shows. And it's not perfect because it's not doing transcription to, you know, voice to text, but it is a very good search that goes through the tags and the links and all that stuff. Another resource. I love it. notes.jupiterbroadcasting.com. At some point I'll talk to the orange one maybe and figure out, you know, get the story how he built it, but we do have a link to his blog in there. And I think probably what stuck out to me is just kind of how well he broke it all down. And how he renders the content, how he parallels some of the work, where he's hosting, obviously Linode, uh, where it's at now, all that kind of stuff's in there. I don't know. Thank you. You know, I am running my arse off doing some of this stuff. Proper show note search that searches all of the shows at once. Well, that's definitely something that I've wanted to do. But, like, it's not even on my list. (laughs) There's so much going on.
1: No, it's not an easy task either.
0: No. When am I going to find time for that? Or when am I going to get funding for that either?
1: All right. So let's take a look. This is written in
0: Python.
1: Excellent choice.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Let's see. Server.py. So what is it? Ooh. Let's see. Flake. This is a good radio right here. This is what happens when somebody clicks the wrong button and then loses their place.
0: I'm liking it, though. I like the live breakdown.
1: Let's see. Template theme. GitHub workflows. How fancy. I thought I just saw server.py. Did I lose my mind?
0: I mean that's totally possible. If it was gonna happen, it'd probably happen live. It was scrape.py. <laughs> I could have sworn I just hang on. There's there's he's using what what is it, Jinja? Oh. And then of course he's also using MK docs to build out the pages. Okay, cool. So
1: Oh, uh, he's using Flake like a good developer. Look at that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's got dev requirements and real requirements separated. <gasps>
0: And he's got it all running in a container environment using traffic as a proxy to bring the request in and out. And it's all provisioned with a mixture of Ansible and Terraform. How about this? Huh? All right. <laughs> I know. Well, la da sir. I bet you if I hired a guy to do this job, he might not even do it this good, right? <laughs> That's what's so crazy.
1: Wow. and He's even got GitHub workflows for like actually scraping. Wow. All right. Cool.
0: <laughs> got to keep that data current, right? Mm-hmm. So thank you to the orange one for building that for us. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. Linode is the developer's cloud with 11 data centers worldwide. They have something near you or near a customer, and they've been hard at work for 18 years creating the best experience for running applications on Linux. If you're the type that likes to build it up from the ground yourself, or if you prefer one-click deployments or integrating in with an existing infrastructure management tool set, Linode has excellent options for you. And the performance is mind-blowing. I simply wouldn't host all of JB's stuff there, right? (laughs) I want the audience to have a good experience. I mean, they have the best customer support, 24-7, 365. They have a beautiful dashboard, tons of documentation, a brilliant community. But it's performance, right? That's the number one thing for me. And they're just super fast. And they've been rolling out screaming new NVMe-based storage, PCIe NVMe storage, super flexible S3-compatible object storage on the back end. We use that all the time. I mean, this dashboard, I, I mentioned it because it brings these things together. You hear things like object storage, block storage, you know, and it, it's like, okay, what does that mean? Well, you go into the dashboard, you'll figure it out, and you'll start using enterprise-grade tools in minutes. If you've been using Linode for anything longer than five minutes, you realize it's pretty special. And as you start to get in more invested, like you start to learn the tooling around it, like the API and the command line tool and that kind of stuff that just makes your use of Linode even more efficient. So from the best customer support, super fast rigs and super fast networking and a Linux culture that runs deep, you know, they're clicking my buttons. (laughs) <laughs> maybe they'll tap your buttons too. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm going with that. There's a lot of reasons though to choose Linode and I think you should check it out. And that hundred dollars in my opinion, it puts it over the top. So go get that $100 in credit and support the show. Linode.com slash coder. So did you hear about this log for shell bug? It's a bug and log for J and it's stupid, simple to exploit it. You could change your web browser's user agent Early on, you could just simply rename your iPhone with this string in there and you could actually exploit the flaw in Apple's iCloud. What it is, is this log4j application parses logs. And when it encounters a string, because you're often capturing the commands that your users are passing by, when it captures a string, you can make a request to the JNDI engine, which is this, I don't really know it very well, but it's, it's a mechanism that will let you like connect to an LDAP database or something like that. And you can send a URL to it. So it could also go out to like an external server. And that's where you can have it go out, get a payload and then come back and execute it. And you can actually have it execute something like on the command line or something like that, depending on how you exploit this thing. There's a patch out of course, because they went public with it last week, but even before the proof of exploit code was public, Eight days, in fact, before the proof of exploit code was public, there were attackers taking advantage. They knew ahead of time. Ooh. Yeah. You know, and it started with crypto miners, of course. Naturally. Got to go make a quick buck on a coin, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Now it's moved up to like professional attackers and researchers using this vulnerability in Log4j to execute vulnerability scan behind firewalls and find vulnerabilities inside people's internal networks and whatnot.
1: I heard you like vulnerabilities. So I put some vulnerabilities behind your firewalls with vulnerabilities in your vulnerabilities.
0: What's so wild about this is it was discovered as a Minecraft flaw because the users could actually put like the execution commands in a Minecraft command. The server would log the command and then they could get it to execute the code. And they could exploit the Minecraft server. That's, I think, how this actually first became discovered.
1: I just want to say we have hit the Java gold standard here. A bug that hits enterprise Java discovered via Minecraft. One of the more famous, you know, client-side Java applications out there.
0: We did a complete breakdown and analysis in Linux Action News, so I should mention that. So if you want to know all the details, linuxactionnews.com. But the proof of concept code, that's the thing that gets me. Comes out on the 9th. Eight days before that, you start seeing people exploit this. And I want to know how the hell that happens. This is bad enough because log4j is one of those little bits of pieces way down the stack that you don't even think about when you're thinking about securing your infrastructure, right? Because this thing's just handling your logging. Are you really thinking about remote code execution with your logs? And don't you actually want to log the commands that the users were executing so you know how to troubleshoot? You know what they were doing? Like you actually need that data. It's such a catch-22. There's just, I feel like there's no solution to this kind of stuff because we have so much of this type of software deployed throughout all of our infrastructures. You know, the
1: more dependencies and as more complicated your stack becomes, just the, the wider the surface area, right, for you to get hit with one of these. So,
0: I mean, there's been some high-profile NPM vulnerabilities that, you know, you use an NPM package. and
1: mm-hmm. NPM, we haven't covered much, but yeah, NPM has been having a real hard time.
0: It's been bad. This is an issue that's like pervasive.
1: Well, this is an issue with like all modern software development. Because everybody's basically Legoing a bunch of packages together, right? It could happen to anybody. I mean, ha- RubyGems has had some in the past. Theoretically, PIP could, right? I think, I'm sure PIP has. I just don't know about it. But this is the downside.
0: Vulnerability goes back to like 2006. And it just really underscores no software infrastructure can remain static. You always have to plan to, to update it down the road. Even if the core application doesn't get updated, you have to figure out a way to be able to update the underlying OS and libraries. You have to be able to build for that.
1: And that is not always as easy as you think it could be.
0: I would imagine. You build something, and then you update these libraries and you change things. It's something that we don't talk a lot about, but when you change some of this stuff for security purposes, it sometimes changes how long a function takes to execute. Mm -hmm. And that can mess with a lot of stuff. Just something like that.
1: Yeah, I have actually a real world example from a few years ago when, uh, remember the Heartbleed OpenSSL stuff? Oh, yeah. They pulled the Ruby gem that worked with SSL1 and you had to use, you know, a newer version. Fine. But that newer version wouldn't work with older versions of Rails. <laughs> oh, yeah. So now to get a security update, you're upgrading your entire application to whatever the new version of Rails is. And depending on how far back you were, the, the level of change we're making became more and more significant.
0: You know, that kind of stuff, sometimes you find out about it ahead of time, and sometimes it's stuff that is sort of so low on the list that nobody really makes a big noise about making an update like that, and it bites you, and you don't even really know where in the stack it happened. It's such a hard problem. But there is a patch out there. Any version of JVM released after 2019 doesn't have the vulnerability. Of course, the problem is, is there's a lot of deployments of older JVM out there. Even Steam, you know, yep. Steam and iCloud, even these huge groups that big part of their business is their online service, they end up on old versions of JVM. And we've, anybody who's ever worked in a large enterprise or medium business has seen this happen. Good luck. I've been hearing from a lot of you out there that have been scrambling to patch. I don't miss that hustle. Good luck to you. I'm going to do an ad for Linux Action News, and I'm going to play a clip right here about the funding model. So a big part of this is Log4J has not been getting properly funded at all for the last decade. It's like two dudes working on it by themselves, and it's become this key piece of infrastructure for all these billion-dollar companies. And they're like, we'll pay us. And it's not that simple. That's what this clip addresses. Google and Amazon you know they're not going to they're not going to go and log for Jay's Patreon and become a Patreon supporter in one of their tiers right that's not how these massive companies work they they live in the land of invoices POs and ACH payments not PayPal payments not Patreon payments not GitHub sponsors that's just not what these companies do they have finance departments they don't have individuals that have PayPal accounts that go support some developer so we need a way that's not a big foundation or some law firm, but some, some platform that lets developers get paid in the language, in the means that these companies want to do it. And I know this sounds odd, but I can tell you from being on this end, there has been multiple situations where we're like, we don't have a way to pay this guy because he doesn't want to work with PayPal or there's this restriction because of the country he's in. And it's so much more complicated than just send them a tip. And It gets even more complicated when you have these companies with policies and procedures and they're used to interfacing with other businesses, not individuals. It's a really hard problem to solve. LinuxActionNews.com. I do have a few things on our list that have been sent in by the audience. And one that I know you tagged me with earlier in the week that just demonstrated the absolute control Apple has over their app store. It came out that Microsoft has quietly told Apple it was willing to turn big Xbox exclusive games into dedicated iPhone apps. In other words, Microsoft offered to bring AAA Xbox exclusives to the iPhone if it meant Apple would ease up on their streaming policy for Xbox's new gaming stream, Xbox Cloud Gaming or Xcloud. And Apple didn't budge. And it's weird because these emails came out and it's like, Microsoft's trying to wheel and deal here with Apple and you can, I mean, can you imagine taking something that is an exclusive video game like Halo or something to your platform and being willing to make an iPhone app out of it just to get Apple to crack the door a little bit? (laughs) Apple's answer was, um, no. Yeah, maybe they figure this is like a hundred year economy for them or something. They fight for this thing. Like it's going to be the way they make money for the next hundred years. Yeah, I think
1: they correctly understand that I mean, listen to the show from a few weeks ago. Being a middleman is a big business right now in the digital economy. And as judge, uh, I forgot her last name, judge. uh, Oh, right. Well, the judge in the Apple epic cake will tell you the gamers are spending the most money here.
0: So let's go ahead and be in the middle of that transaction. So then Microsoft in March of last year came with like a second compromise because remember Apple's response was you can't stream, but you could submit those thousand games as individual apps to the store. So Microsoft's like first, how about we give you a couple exclusive and then you let us stream. That didn't work. Second approach, second set of compromises is, okay, Microsoft will propose that we will create those hundreds or thousands of individual apps and we will submit them to the app store. But you let us make those essentially like shortcuts. So we don't have to stuff the whole cloud gaming in one little app, the whole infrastructure. They argued that this is essentially how watchOS apps work already. It would just be something they did on the iPhone. They said that they have the tech in there. They could do it. Each app would be around 150 megabytes. They'd have like a runtime and they'd get you connected to the cloud service. It'd be a legitimate app. It'd just be an app that gets you up and connected to that specific game. And this part's embarrassing too, because they say things like, that's fun, there's a typo in here. Listen to this. He says, quote, we're excited that we are close to finding a solve. To bring the Xbox Game Pass library to iOS. We wanted to follow up on details you requested. Were they close? Wait. What? They weren't, no. And, you know, they even said we think we could get those apps down to 30 megabytes in size so they'd download real small. They'd be easy for you guys to review and approve. And nothing.
1: Apple's like, but, but, but you missed the point. That's not our problem. <laughs> it's so transparent that it's almost, I almost feel icky saying it because it's like, no, that's crazy.
0: And of course, in-app purchases became a big sticking spot. That was just an area Apple was unwilling to compromise on, no matter how they came to do this.
1: Yeah, and we should know, we don't have it in the notes, Apple just won an injunction against the order saying they had to allow alternative payment methods in apps. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's good to be the king. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I forgot who wrote it. I think it was, uh, was it Jeff Atwood? I think so way back when about one of what now seems like a super quaint controversy regarding the app store i could just look it up the day article was entitled at the pleasure of the king or something mm. it seems worse today than it did then
0: that's the thing i think i think what has been striking me about
1: all this Ser- serving real time serving at the pleasure of the king that's what it was uh-huh yeah
0: as this conversation has evolved on the show i've realized It's worse than I think we ever thought it was going to be in a lot of ways. In so many ways, we were originally focused on things like getting free software in the app store or sideloading. And now it's really, you're right, it's about this middle management control that they can extort over developers and over end users. And Apple has made it clear they very much see the iPhone as an appliance-type console device with a curated console-like experience. It's not a personal computer. It's a console.
1: They also see apps not as really their own programs, but as extensions of iOS. Yeah. At first I was resistant to that line of thinking, but the more I hear and the more I kind of just like I've been following this, I mean, the level of control here is pretty uh, <laughs> substantial,
0: perhaps. Do you think they view it the way they do, the way they view apps? Do you think they view them as, you know, developers should be grateful that Apple's building this and that they're just extensions of the OS. Do you think they view it that way because they create the APIs. Well,
1: I think they basically said that in the courtroom.
0: Okay, did they? Okay, yeah, I kind of recall that.
1: They didn't use the word grateful, but they said, you know, we invest all of this, we built the platform, we need to, I mean, Tim Cook just said it outright. He dropped, he didn't even like, he dropped the whole veneer of security. He's like, we need to recoup our investment, which is laughable because they definitely have.
0: I mean, I'm not even thinking App Store. I'm thinking like, iOS core APIs, things like ML APIs and audio and video APIs that let you access the camera. I wonder if they view themselves as well, we've done most of the hard work. I think they think both, right? The
1: hardware, the APIs, the SDKs. Right, of course. But Apple's always been like this, the my way or the highway. I think the difference is nobody could have foreseen, or nobody did foresee, how substantial to their business being a middleman, right? Being, you know, that app store fee was gonna be. Yeah. And they are a publicly traded corporation. I know people are gonna write in and say it's not true. But basically, you know, Tim Cook wants up and to the right every quarter. I mean, if you told me I could make 30% of somebody else's business just by like being there, I would be happy.
0: You know, the thing is, is Microsoft is not necessarily the customer you want to piss off because they have a lot of influence with regulators now. Like they played that game, they have figured out how to influence. I mean, look at look at the way they got that Pentagon project or the CIA data whatever it was. I can't remember. Now. God, this is not my day for recollection. Should have <clears> taken my B12
1: Pentagon, CIA, MI6. Listen, men in black. That is the contract
0: I want. You don't take a deal like that away from Amazon without being super savvy in Washington. And so I'm just saying, like, you go around and you do this. You, you do this kind of stuff. You, you, you know, they're screwing with Microsoft's moneymaker. Microsoft wants to turn this Xbox cloud streaming thing into a whole thing that can reach a whole new generation of users that never even buy Xbox hardware. And Apple is very key part of that strategy. And they're with Microsoft's money here. And the reality is they're being unreasonable and they're stringing them along, getting their people to waste times on proposals and looking at trying to contain their entire streaming platform in a single app and doing all this kind of bullshit that Microsoft's going to get pissed about. And it's the exact kind of thing that they're going to sit down with some regulator and say, look at this. And it's, it's going to end up biting them in the ass. And I know you know that. And they must know that. So then it leads me to conclude that the end goal, whatever the end goal is of the App Store, must be one of the highest priorities of the organization because they are willing to bring federal regulation down upon them to save what they got. I mean, it's, it's the
1: only place where their growth is, is not as limited, right? Like one of the problems in the last quarterly report that they were, to, they were doing the guidance for was that they've basically saturated the possible iPhone market, right? It's now people upgrading. I mean, sure, people die and people are born or whatever. But it's it's the growth area. In fairness, though, this whole idea of streaming game services, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat. I'm pretty sure that's the future of game development. And it's going to suck for game developers. <laughs> I just let you know, because, again, it's going to be another like almost like sharecropping deal where you're getting paid X cents, whatever it is, per you know, active minute. Very much like if you've ever known authors, how Kindle Unlimited works, it seems like a good deal. It's really not. It's not. Unless you're like JK Rowling, right? Unless you're one of or Stephen King. And then sure, because you have so many people reading it, but
0: I have GeForce now and I do like that. I can buy the game in steam often and then play it on GeForce now, but what ends up actually kind of being the nice thing about it as time goes on is they're upgrading the streaming service to RTX 3080 cards with, uh, you know, all their fancy features, I can't even buy one of those right now. Like, I'd have to pay this service for two or three years before it would equal the cost of a single graphics card. And by that time, a whole new generation of graphics cards are on the market. And when you look at the part shortages and you look at the cost of these things and you look at the fact that my purchasing power is less with inflation going crazy, it just seems almost more practical to just have a game streaming service now because they'll just keep upgrading the GPUs because they're freaking NVIDIA, <laughs> you know? I actually really have had pretty good success, even on limited connectivity. I know everybody thinks it's impossible, but I've done it once on LTE (laughs) and I've done it a lot on Starlink, and it's uh, worked just fine.
1: Real time update. I just was able, speaking of gaming, to get an Xbox
0: X. Oh, really? Yes. My dad just got an S. I played the new Halo for the first time this weekend.
1: It's good. I I have an S, but it's going to go in uh, another room because I need my digital content everywhere.
0: I got to say. Games are looking good on that thing, and Halo, you know, full-on surround sound support, so, like, bullets are whizzing past behind my head, and it was fun. I haven't played a good Xbox game in these current generations, and I know Halo's not the, you know, pushing the graphics all the way to the ultimate, but... No, but... I really like it. So, what made you, because I know you're a Switch guy, too, but are you just kind of like me, kind of getting done with the games on Switch right now?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I've wanted one for a while, and it's just, it's it's more, I got an email from Walmart because I have that weird Walmart, um... Alert thing? No, the, the they're Prime. I don't know what they call it, but. oh yeah. So they they do a thing now where they periodically get them in PS PS fives, and if you're part of their whatever Walmart Prime is, you get first dibs. Uh huh. So I just went in and because I because I do it on the app, right? So you're logged in, it ha- you you just like your information saved. Wham bam, there's your Xbox. Oh, I probably shouldn't know this. Now it's not coming till January.
0: Is there a particular game you're looking forward to?
1: Probably Halo. I mean, I've, um, I, so I haven't done serious gaming in a long time. I just got back into it. I just finished Assassin's Creed Origins. Ah. So I think I'm going to pick up Odyssey and then Valhalla.
0: Yeah. It's going to look good.
1: Oh, I, wipe. I think
0: so. I just bought the new Metroid Dread on Switch.
1: I have it too. I haven't played it yet.
0: It's hard. Is it? A lot of it is about speed and getting through the map as fast as possible. Now, the thing that I love about it, being an old fart, is that it's, it's a 2D side-scrolling, like the original Metroids. One. Nice. Yeah, I really like that. And only, of course, they bring in moments that are 3D, because they're using a 3D rendering engine to actually do it, like they do with the Mario games now. Pretty good game so far. I have not gotten very far. But that's a great example of, like, I, I aspire to be gamer. I aspire to be, like, somebody who can just switch his brain off and sit down and play for a couple of hours. And it's a rare game that I can actually do that with and Breath of the Wild was probably the best at it because it's so engrossing. You know, so that's a special treat for me. When a game can hold my attention and I'm not thinking about work, it's like a special escape. So I hope. I hope the metaverse is real. I hope VR takes off because psychologically, I think it'd be great for me. If I could go upstairs after this show and put on a VR headset and be at the beach, I think that'd actually be pretty good for my mental state. Hmm. That's my one VR experience that I've really, truly had by myself where I wasn't like at a tech demo or with a group of friends. I have an Oculus like DK one or whatever they were. Nice. I was here in the studio one night all by myself and I hooked it up to the studio machine and launched one of their demos. And it was a raft in the middle of the ocean with a little cabin on this wood raft. And I could climb up the ladder and sit on top. There was a chair up there. And I just sat there on this raft in the middle of the ocean and I had headphones and all that kind of stuff and just chilled the hell out for like 15 minutes. And I actually felt like I was there and it was like, Whoa, it's probably what like people who love meditation and really feel like they get something out of it probably was as close to that as I I get. I just found it to be great. So I'm all for it. The rumors are that Apple's building one. I've thought about getting the quest. So if anybody out there uses VR, for like chill out time and has experience with ways of doing that. I kind of like to know, I know it's a weird angle, but Coder.show slash contact. Let me know. I'll get that quest. You know, before we move off Apple completely, this was sent into the show too. You remember when we were talking about the child nudity detection stuff, the CSAM scanning that they were going to do on the iPhone.
1: Yeah. The CSAM
0: scanning. Yeah. So this is interesting. So Apple's walked that back, but with iOS 15.2, which is rolling out, They are including the nude image detection in kid iMessage. If you've got an iCloud family and you've got people on there that are children, like my kids are set up, then their iPhones, iPads, or Macs, or whatever will analyze incoming and outgoing messages received and sent through the Messages app to detect nudity. If the system finds a nude image, the picture will appear blurred, and the child will be warned before viewing it. If the children attempt to send a nude image, they'll also be warned. In both instances, the child will have the ability to contact a parent through the Messages app about the situation, but now this has changed from how it was before. Parents will not automatically receive a notification. But the wider CSAM scanning of your iCloud photo database is not being rolled out at this time. What do you think? I guess this kind of seems like a pretty sensible compromise. How do you feel as a parent, though, about the automatic notification no longer happening?
1: That was actually the one feature I actually liked. Yeah. I mean, so we're going to have hilarious Reddit posts of it blurring out like Big Bird and stuff, right? Messing up and think, you know.
0: Totally. It's going to be a meme.
1: It's it's going to be a meme. I don't know, this is a hard problem, right? You 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 know, on some level, I mean, we both have kids. You definitely don't want your kids doing stupid things that are going to possibly follow them for a long time.
0: Yep. And every iPad you give a kid comes with messages.
1: Yep, but it's it's also I would say almost impossible to have 100% surveillance of your child. (laughs) So (laughs) I I don't know. I don't like this very much. I mean, (laughs) I I don't, I also don't like a lot of things very much when it comes to like kids and technology. I sort of, I don't necessarily agree. Okay. We'll, we'll walk it back a little bit. Right. I, I'm not convinced that like kappa doesn't go far enough, right? It's just like too easy to have kids on these social apps, even though they're not supposed to.
0: Oh man, TikTok! I swear is going after my younger kids. Like it's yeah, it's wild. I know, and it's it's a constant near daily battle. <laughs> it's strange, and like YouTube is just like dying.
1: Like I showed my kid one video on YouTube, and. I could see his eyes like he was getting sucked into the black hole. And I was like, now you're done. That's it.
0: Well, first of all, it's 16 by nine and it's longer than 24 seconds. So come on.
1: (laughs) This goes into the next question. What age should your kids have these devices? Right. Yeah. And so I know we're supposed to be talking about Apple, but I sort of think it's kind of a parenting problem. I mean, your kid can't send stupid iMessages if he or she doesn't have iMessage.
0: True. Here's the flip side. Being who I am, I pretty much had, you know, my kids had a Linux laptop and a tablet before they probably should have. Well, yeah. My kids are so much more technically literate than pretty much everyone else in their peer group. Everyone else and like some of their friends, they're horrible at using the iPad. They're horrible at video games and they don't know how to use controls like and now they're getting at an age, you know, 12, 13, where like it's starting to become common that their friends want to play video games and know how to use technology and stuff like that. And the friends in their social groups who have had really strict parenting on this, they really seem like they're behind all the other children in a very important area.
1: My son did not have his own iPad for a while until he went to kindergarten. Mm. And while there are other options, other devices one could buy, like a Chromebook, the best way for him to do all of his homework is on the iPad, which is mind-bending to me.
0: Yeah, my kids get issued a Chromebook from their school. Yep. They can do some of it on their iPad, but for the school for their school, it's the iPad All right, it's the Chromebook. Even the kindergartners have them.
1: I guess technically, I could whip up open a Chrome tab, but then he's like on my computer, and I feel like he's more likely to damage it. So it's just easier to get him a mini. But see, I see what you're saying about the parents who are super strict, like putting their kids behind him. My son like has a Switch, right? He knows how to he knows how to hook up the Switch dock. He beat me at Mario the other day.
0: <laughs> it's a good proud moment, also a hard moment. <laughs> Very
1: hard for me. Yeah, (laughs) but it is addictive. I mean, telling him it's time to get off the Nintendo is like, it's like someone who's got a problem. It's not, I know, I mean, he's a lot better than he used to be, but it's,
0: I know one of my kids is having a harder time with that. The other two seem to have found a pretty healthy natural balance, but one of my kids got three total is definitely struggling. And my hope is to help guide them to learn how to manage this.
1: Oh, being around people who, you know, who have more kids and things like that. I now definitely get the damage that these social apps are doing in particular to like teenagers,
0: right? I guess I'm hoping I can help them navigate it and learn to manage it and when to turn it off and when to turn it on. But I mean, what do I know? You know, this is the first time I've ever done this.
1: (laughs) And you and I are on Twitter all the time. So, I mean, come on.
0: I kind of wish I could go like live on some big piece of land somewhere like in Montana and just not have them exposed to any of this. But that also is probably going to not serve them when they're adults. I'll just have to live on my farm for the rest of time.
1: A title suggestion, Coder Farm.
0: (laughs) I want to thank our members at CoderQA.co. You guys are our army that keeps us going, and we appreciate you. You can now get an ad-free version of the show. Ad-free. Support the show and get the Coderly report. We've also launched the network membership at jupiter.party, so you can, for the price of two shows, although right now it's $2 off for a year, So for less than the price of two shows, you can get access to all the show special feeds, including the Linux Unplugged live stream, self-hosted post show, the Coderly report, all in one feed. And it's the only way to get Linux action news ad-free. So that's at jupiter.party. But you're uh, a Coder QA member. We still appreciate you. And even if you're not in the spot to be a member, even if you're just a listener, maybe you take a moment to tell a friend about the show. We really appreciate that too. Thank you very much. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send people this week?
1: Uh, follow me on Twitter at Timonuko and go to Alice.dev if you have legacy data to move.
0: Who doesn't? As we can see from these uh, <laughs> JVM vulnerabilities. Oh, yeah. Everybody does. Everybody does. Let's see. I'll plug the telegram. The network telegram is at jupiterbroadcastingcom slash telegram. We'd love to have you join the conversation there. We also have a matrix server with a Coder Radio matrix feedback room and discussion room. We have two different Coder Radio rooms. That matrix server is colony.jupiterbroadcasting.com. Links to what we talked about today are at Coder.show slash 444. But that's just fun to say. You'll find our contact form over there as well as our RSS feed. We'd love to hear from you. Your feedback is a big part of the show. And you can always join us live on a Monday. We do it at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Well, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll get it right someday. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you right back here next week on Coder Radio.